Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. I hope all of you had a Merry Christmas and a Happy Hanukkah. And with any luck, your Week 16 went well and you made it to the championship game in your fantasy league, maybe even multiple leagues. Now, normally this would be the point at which I turn things over to Dr. Deepak Chona for the weekly injury report. But since there are so few fantasy teams still alive, and since I know that everyone involved in championship games is going to be bird-dogging the injury news that's relevant to their fantasy teams anyway, we are going to skip the injury report this week. But I do want to thank Dr. Chona for his yeoman-like service this season. Some of you have reached out and told me how much you enjoyed getting the weekly injury report at the top of the show, and I agree. I will be working on securing Dr. Chona's services for next season as well, and it's a safe bet that I will be having Dr. Chona on again this spring and or summer to discuss some of the players who will be recovering from major injuries as we head into the 2023 season. Now, as for today's show, there were some interesting developments in week 16, not the least of which was the Rams, the Rams for goodness sake, dropping a 50-burger on the Denver Broncos. But this show is going to be forward-looking. This is the last episode of 2022, and I think we should start setting the stage for 2023. So in just a minute, I am going to bring in my good friend and Fantasy Pros colleague, Matthew Friedman, to discuss some big-picture stuff for 2023 and to drill down on some of the players we will be debating in the months to come, players whose value might be tricky to assess right now. So we'll get to that with Matt Friedman in just a minute. But first, a word about the schedule for Fits on Fantasy. This show is going to be taking a brief hiatus after this episode. We will go dark for one week and possibly two weeks And there will also be another brief hiatus right around the time of the Super Bowl. But we won't be gone very long. As you know, there's no offseason in fantasy football. We are going to have a lot to discuss, even during the NFL playoffs, even in those difficult few weeks between the end of the 2022 fantasy season and the beginning of best ball drafts for 2023. There will be no shortage of things to discuss. So the hiatuses, the hiati, is that a word? No matter. Suffice it to say, we will not be gone for long. All right, let's bring in Matthew Friedman. And joining me now is Matthew Friedman. He's the content director at Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. Find him on Twitter at Matt F. The Oracle. Mr. Friedman, I think this might give you the all-time lead in Fits on Fantasy guest appearances. You're like you're like the Regis Philbin to my David Letterman. Welcome back, good sir. Thanks. Uh, I will I will take it. Uh, it's always a, a good show to be on. Uh, I enjoy the conversations, and uh, also you know I just enjoy the pod in general. Uh, I I listen. I, I'm not gonna lie. I won't say I listen every week, but I listen most weeks, and uh, it's always a good show. And you listen at like four times normal speed. So I probably sound like a chipmunk, but that's okay. Uh, So you and your wife lost the heat in your Iowa home during this Arctic blast here in the Midwest. And you live to tell the tale. You're not completely frozen right now. 
Yeah, it, it wasn't as horrible as it sounds. Um, they were, there was something going on with our heat where it would uh, it would overheat, like the system, the furnace would overheat. And if it did that uh, like three times in a row, it would automatically kick off and then uh, like recool for like three hours. Uh, and so the the tech came, he was able to sort of, you know, fix it, uh, you know, whatever was going on. So it wasn't that bad, but the timing of it was incredibly subpar. Yeah. I mean, we were getting wind chills here in the Chicago area of close to 30 below. So yeah, uh, yeah, Yeah. not, not the optimal time to have a a problem with the heating. All right, Friedman, this is the last episode of 2022 and we are going to look ahead. We're on to 2023, as you might say, Uh, who should be the one-on-one in redraft leagues next year? Who should be the one on one? I would, I would be tempted to say Justin Jefferson. Uh, you know that might be a little unpopular if you want to go running back. I think it's Christian McCaffrey. I think it's hard to make an argument for any other running back except for Christian McCaffrey. Uh, if you just kind of like look at our Week 16 rankings as sort of like a general proxy for the guys who might be in the conversation next year. Like you can't put Derrick Henry at the one on one. I love Austin Eckler, but you know he's he's getting older and he really isn't doing much as a runner. Josh Jacobs, we don't know where he's going to be. Dalvin Cook, he's regressed this year relative to last year and the year before that. Saquon Barkley, I mean, no, like we don't know where he's going to be. You know, there just there aren't all that many. And then Jonathan Taylor, I'm not even you know mentioning him, but he's injured. But who knows what's going on uh, in Indianapolis next year? So there's so much uncertainty uh, around the running back position. Where if you go running back, I think it has to be Christian McCaffrey. Uh, but really, I think it should be Justin Jefferson. Uh, I think you know there there was a year, it might have been like five to eight years ago, where the running back position wasn't all that great, and you started to see Antonio Brown. Uh, slip into the 101 spot more often than we had seen any other wide receiver. I think it might be that way this year with Justin Jefferson. I agree. Jefferson should be the consensus 101. And this does remind me of that year where we saw some people take Antonio Brown 101. Uh, But we know Jefferson won't be the consensus 101. We know the world is not ready for a wide receiver to be the, uh, you know, obvious 101. There are hundreds of thousands of Neanderthals out there. And I use that term lovingly. I mean, they may be furry and smelly, but they're also lovable. And uh, these Neanderthals out there, some of them listening to this show at this very moment, will absolutely refuse to take a non-running back with the first pick of a fantasy draft. But I agree. And it's funny that Christian McCaffrey, you know, some people wanted to take him one-on-one in 2022 drafts. And uh, of course, the hesitation was his checkered injury history, but he stayed healthy all season this year. So yeah, if people do go running back, I agree. It has to be him. Uh, Henry Eckler, those guys are kind of hitting a scary point on the age curve, I think. So um, yeah, yeah, those guys should probably be out of the running. All right, Friedman. I got to say one thing that is funny, I think, is that the same people who were probably bashing the idea of taking Christian McCaffrey number one last year will probably be among the people lining up to take him number one this year. And it's not to say like that they are wrong. Like I can see the case for McCaffrey number one, but I think the case for him number one this upcoming year actually isn't as strong as the case for him number one last year. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And um, 
they got the show me season of good health that they needed from him. Yeah. But um, oddly enough, that might be the the reason they shouldn't be taking him one on one this year. Just the injury rates at the running back position. But uh, yeah, we're gonna be having this debate all off season. I'm sure. I know you're a dynasty guy. I know you probably have not drilled down on college prospecting too much yet, even though you are the guy who releases a mock draft basically every day in the uh, month to month and a half leading up to the actual NFL draft. But I know you pay attention to this stuff, even at this time of year. Have you thought about who deserves to be one-on-one in rookie drafts for Superflex Dynasty Leagues? Like, is it likely to be Bryce Young for you or whichever quarterback goes one-on-one in the actual draft? Or is B. John Robinson just too good a running back prospect to pass up? Yeah, um, the the wimpy answer for me to say right now is it kind of depends. Um, you know, some of it would depend on that first quarterback. You know, like where does he go? Let's assume that it's the Houston Texans. That's a pretty unappetizing situation right now. But you know, maybe they make a change at head coach. Maybe you know they bring in a, a really inventive offensive mind, and all of a sudden. That's a pretty uh, it's a pretty intriguing spot. So, yeah, maybe it's Bryce Young, just depending on the situation he ends up in. I do kind of prefer Bryce Young to C.J. Stroud, but it's it's weird. Like Bryce Young, uh, he's small, and you know maybe it's just sort of my um, like my bias or like what we've seen. But I think like oh, smaller guy, he's going to have some mobility. Like you know, I think of Kyler Murray or something like that. And that's not really the case with Bryce Young. Like he's a fantastic passer. And I think he's actually been able to navigate. Like I think he's he's listed at six feet. I don't think he's six feet tall. I, I think he's more like 5'11". But he's been able to navigate um, the, I'll say like height deficiency, I think better than Kyler Murray did in college. Like I think he actually is a pretty decent pocket passer where somehow he's kind of able not like to see over the the offensive lineman in front of him but to kind of see around him and to like hit the middle of the field better than most guys who are under six feet tall so as a passer I think he's really good despite the height deficiency um, but he's not a runner at all like he's just he's not like he and he has improvisational capabilities but it's always like him doing things within the pocket or escaping the pocket and then looking downfield he's really hardly ever looking to escape the pocket and run. And so if we are getting a guy who is a a pocket passer, even if he's like a great pocket passer in terms of evading the rush uh, and creating within the pocket, I want him to be big, you know, because like I'm just, we're not going to get the fantasy points probably from him creating outside of the pocket and taking off and like having that cheat code. So we are counting on his production coming purely as a passer and having a small guy do that makes me a little bit nervous because like there are only so many Drew Breeses in the world. You know what I mean? So I'm a little bit worried on on Bryce Young for that. And then CJ Stroud, he's got more of the like the prototypical size, but he's also not much of a runner. And I don't think he has the the passing chops that Bryce Young has. Like I don't like I think he's good. CJ Stroud is good at operating within the system and when things are on schedule and he's got his wide receivers who are all really good. Uh he's got his wide receivers creating for him and and breaking open. 
uh, he's able to execute the offense that they have. But when things break down, I don't think he has quite the same improvisational ability that Bryce Young has. Uh, but neither one is really a runner. So that like for either one of them, it makes me a little bit hesitant with the 101. And Bijan Robinson is a I don't know, people say like generational, whatever. Like I think we overuse the generational running back. And I don't know if we should ever call any running back prospect generational just because like it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like would we call it a piece of pizza generational? I d I don't know. But like um, Bijan Robinson is fine. Like he, he's absolutely fine as the one-on-one in Superflex if you wanted to go with him, because I think he is going to be a very good running back. But you know, with Superflex, it's so uh it's so tilted towards quarterback that if you don't take a quarterback at 101, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. So I guess this is all my circuitous way of saying, like, I feel like it's not a great year for Superflex. Because the quarterbacks at the top, I don't think are like true difference makers. And then you have this dilemma with the running back where the running back is good, better than the number one running back we would get in most years. But like that doesn't mean that he's actually good enough for you to bypass the quarterback situation. Yeah, well summed up. Um, I think we're going to have some interesting analysis of these quarterbacks in the months to come. And there are some other guys who maybe provide more of that um, rushing upside. Anthony Richardson kind of pops to mind yeah. as a guy who more of a Josh Allen type, really big dude. And um, But there are no Lamar Jacksons, Justin Fields, uh, even Kyler Murray type impact runners at the quarterback position. Maybe not, or at least none who – Combine that with the uh, sort of upper upper end of the first round draft capital to to warrant like sort of a slam dunk one hundred one or one hundred two pick in in rookie draft. So, um, so turning back to redraft for a second, given the changing scape, at, uh, changing landscape at the quarterback position with elite production from I don't know half a dozen guys or so and a shrinking middle class. Do you think you'll be more inclined to chase the elite quarterbacks next year? Hmm, that's kind of tough. Uh, no, I don't think so. Part of it is that I've, I feel like I've historically been able to do a pretty decent job of finding quarterbacks in the later rounds. Um, and you know, like whether that was, yeah, like 2018 Mahomes, 2019 Lamar Jackson, 2020 Josh Allen, 2021 last year, I was pretty heavy on Jalen Hurts. Um, like this, this past year, I wouldn't say it was quite as successful because the guy I was anchoring on the most was Trey Lance. But after Lance, it was Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, and Daniel Jones. And I feel pretty good about the success I had in identifying those guys as the the people to target late. Uh, and so I think this upcoming year, you know, it's always tempting. It's like, yeah, I would love to have Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Justin Fields is going to catapult himself up into that upper echelon. I would love to have those guys, but I don't want to spend the draft capital necessary to acquire them. So I will probably once again be looking at someone late. Now, just a minute, we're going to talk about some of the players I consider to be among the more interesting cases for 2023. Guys, we're going to be studying and arguing about for months to come. But first, I have to follow up on something with you, Friedman. Uh, the last time you were on, we talked about how you have 
committed to being alcohol free and dessert free until yeah. after the season. Uh, and inexplicably, you define after the season as after the Super Bowl rather than after the fantasy season. So you're needlessly torturing yourself for an extra five weeks. Will you have alcohol or sweets on Super Bowl Sunday itself or not until after? I don't know. Um, <clears throat> probably after. The the way that I think I phrased it was after the Super Bowl. Um, so I, I will probably want to go back and read the uh, original tweet. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Probably after the Super Bowl. Because the spirit of this thing is sort of like, you know, quote unquote discipline. And um, I feel that when I am like disciplining myself by uh, foregoing uh, the things that I desire, I tend to be a little bit sharper. Uh, And so I might do it for the Super Bowl, continue to go without alcohol or delicious desserts. um, But uh, I will definitely be hating myself as I'm doing it. Yeah, if you're sticking to the uh, true definition after the Super Bowl, I would have like a bowl of sticky toffee pudding and some sort of IPA teed up for like the minute the clock hits zero on uh, on the Super Bowl. I would be yeah. ready to go. Um, yeah. Have you have you thought about what you're going to break your abstinence period with? Like, what do you miss the most? What have you? I'm sure you've given this some thoughts about how you're going to come out of this. Yeah. I mean, I love desserts. Um, so all sorts of pies, you know, like I would just like, maybe I'll just go to a Perkins and I'll just sit there for hours, just eating all of the different types of pies that they have on the menu. Um, so pies for sure. Uh, and then beer, you know, like I, I am a Neanderthal, like I don't, uh, like I'm not all that into hard alcohol or like wine. I don't like have that sophistication. Just give me some beer you know, and it can be pretty basic, but I, I like Belgians. Uh, and then I also like things that have been barrel aged, uh, you know, but like basic lagers or like Pilsners, like I'm good with that too. It definitely will not be an IPA. I can, I can say that though. I just, I never developed the palate for IPAs. Uh, I just, I don't know why I just never, never really got into it. That's fair. Uh, all right, we're I got obli- beers. I already have beers lined up, like in the <laughs> in the refrigerator. I've got I've got some uh, some new Glarus. Uh, oh, nice. I've got uh, I've got one of those in there. Uh, I've got a large uh, PBR <laughs> just for the, that's like leftover from the summer. Uh, and then I've got some uh, some Belgians in there. You know, different like uh, local breweries that like you know I look online and I see that they have like something that's uh that's Belgian right now, like a, a double or a triple or whatever. There's like one that's like a, a strong golden. Uh, so I just bought cans of that uh, throughout the season and they're just in there in the back of the refrigerator, just waiting. Oh, nice. Uh, we've got six weeks and uh, you know, you guys might intermittently lose heat again. So those beers are going to be well chilled by the time you're ready to finally wet your whistle after this uh, long and, uh, you know, self self-flagellating hiatus of uh, alcohol. So Friedman, we, we, before we get to the football, we're obligated to talk 90s minutes, uh, 90s music for at least a couple of minutes every time you're a guest. It occurred to me that I don't know where you stand on a few 90s bands. So okay. let's just run down the list and you can just give me like a thumbnail take on each, uh, just basically a yay or nay. And if you want to add some further thoughts, feel free. Radiohead. 
very into Radiohead. Well, I say very into. I have to be sort of in the right mood to listen to a Radiohead album. But uh, I think all of their like they are a true sort of like album type of band. You know, it's not like they write songs and then just push the songs together. Like it, it feels like their stuff is cohesive and it hangs together. And then it's it's like uh, an artist with a painting. That painting is done, and then they move on to another painting. Um, like each album is its own self-contained masterpiece. Uh, so a lot of respect for Radiohead. Um, and like very few bands were able to make the move from like, you know, sort of like rock focused, like one hit type of band into something that is sustaining. Um, I think, you know, they've, they've done it. I feel like tool tool wasn't really like a one hit band, but like, uh, I don't know, like, I feel like they are kind of similar in the way that they have progressed or like matured into a rock band. Uh, so a ton of respect for Radiohead, even though like I don't listen to Radiohead that often. Yeah, well said. Uh, also an amazing live band because I think just, I don't know, these guys are, they are world-class musicians and they do a great job of of bringing like phenomenal sound to a live show. Yeah, um, and I love uh, anytime, like they, they hardly ever play Creep live. They do it like once every 10 years, but whenever they do it, like the internet goes wild for it. And so like, you'll see it on YouTube and like, I'll just, like, I will watch that anytime I see a Radiohead for some random reason. I think the last time they did it was a concert in Paris, like three years ago. And the crowd was just like, like screaming, like, I can't believe they are playing this song. Yeah. It's funny. Tom York has talked about, you know, openly about hating creep. And I wonder what it is that sometimes prompts him to be like, okay, what the hell we're going to do creep tonight. Yeah. Um, I don't think we spoke of this band in the 13 plus hours. We were in a car together driving to and from the fantasy football expo in August. But, uh, how do you feel about Weezer? I think we might have talked about Weezer, but if we didn't, uh, we will definitely talk about them now. Love Weezer, but like with an asterisk, um, I never really got into later Weezer, uh, you know, like after Beverly Hills, like I, I never really listened to any of their stuff after that. Like, I'm sure it's fine. Like the move into really being into, uh, like covers at one point, I felt that was a little bit weird, but whatever, but I loved Weezer when I was in high school. And this was like when Weezer was unpopular, like they were cool. And then Pinkerton came out and people like just absolutely got off of Weezer. Like they hated Weezer but I was still on Weezer and like I had a group of friends in high school and all of us were into Weezer. And so Pinkerton came out, was it, I don't know, like 94, 96. Um, and then like Weezer was dead and then they came back. Uh, but like silently came back in 2000. And so they started doing a series of shows and this was like only the hardcore Weezer fans would would go to these shows but they did one at this club in dallas called deep ellum live and this this place maybe would hold hold a thousand people but that's like a thousand like and you're just body to body with everyone in there and uh so weezer did a show there it was sold out um just die hard everyone in there was a die hard weezer fan and uh they played if it wasn't every song on both of their albums, it was almost every song 
from uh from the blue album and from pinkerton and that was maybe the best show i've ever been to like everyone there was singing all of the words to every song and uh like you could just like feel the energy in the room like if weezer had never gone on to do anything after that i wouldn't have cared that still would have been like one of the coolest things ever and but then they came back and it's like six months later the green album releases and weezer is like back to being one of the coolest bands in the world so like i love weezer but just i haven't gotten into their new stuff that's awesome and you did tell me about that show when we were in the car i don't know how i could have forgotten about that um what about no doubt no nah. <laughs> i mean <laughs> i i think you are more into ska than than i am at least based on the uh the intro and outro music for the show i never really got into ska music that much um so that's not like anything against like uh like the band like i think they're like the one album that had hits on it like i did like that album okay um i kind of prefer like this is going to sound stupid but i kind of prefer like pop gwen stefani as opposed to like no doubt gwen stefani like i think she's just kind of like a little bit better in in that uh I don't know, milieu, if that's yeah. <laughs> probably the wrong word for it. But no, no. Just, that, yeah, and that, I just kind of prefer her in that genre. But I just I just kind of don't like ska in general. Yeah, that's fair. No, I definitely prefer her as a ska girl. Tragic Kingdom, I think, was the big yes. album they had. Uh, what about Pavement? No, I mean, they're like I think they're fine, but I just kind of never got into them. Uh, I Like, they feel a little bit like Weezer and a little bit like uh, Cracker, um, but I just – I preferred Cracker as the kind of lo-fi band that, that I was into. Yeah, same. Um, I know a lot of people have comped them to Cracker and The Replacements, and those are two bands that I absolutely love, but for some reason I just haven't been able to, to get into Pavement. I'm not sure why. Uh, one last band. How about Live? Live feels like the Dalvin Cook of like 90s rock bands where like they – I would never want to listen to an entire live album all the way through, but like the, like the string of albums that they had in that time period, like each one of those had maybe like two to four hits on it where like, if you put all of those songs together, you would have a pretty respectable, like greatest hits album or like a, like a, a, like a live rock show, you know? So it's like, you can look at it and be like, all right, like, yeah, they were, they were a good band or they like, they were a band that had, quite a few good songs but like i would never comp them to like the truly great bands of the 90s yeah well said um some terrific hits and then some of the other stuff there, there was some filler on live albums for a sure. lot of filler <laughs> like if it was a very like stars and scrubs type of approach it, to definitely albums. definitely all right, back to football. Uh, let's run through some of these interesting cases for 2023. And let's start with a guy who was very generous with his gift giving on Christmas Day, at least from the perspective of the Green Bay Packers and uh, their fans, such as myself, Tua Tunga Vailoa. Oh, my God. I need to do over on that. Tua Tunga Vailoa. He's currently sitting QB 12 in fantasy points per game among quarterbacks with at least 10 starts. He may have fallen to QB 13 by the time you hear this, based on what Justin Herbert does on Monday night. If you don't chase a top-tier quarterback in 2023 drafts, and it sounds like you probably won't, might Tua be a peripheral target for you or have these last 
four or five games sort of made you nervous and raised some red flags about him? I'm still interested in Tua, and I think he's a, a case study in the the value of running to the quarterback position. So he is still, even with his inefficient uh, you know, Christmas Day performance, he is still number one in the league in adjusted yards per attempt, 9.2 adjusted yards per attempt. Like that is a MVP caliber type of passing number. Um, but the issue is that he's in an offense that doesn't throw the ball all that much and he doesn't run at all or hardly at all. You know, he has five rushing attempts in his past three games. He had zero rushing attempts in each of the three games before that. Like he just does not give anything on the ground. And so in in order for him to pay off as a fantasy asset, you really need him to be efficient as a passer and hopefully to have some more volume as a passer. Um, I will I will be interested in seeing where the market settles on Tua because even though he has outperformed the expectations people had for him entering this year, I still think that there's a lot of trepidation in the market. And so he might be still undervalued in next year's drafts. Yeah, it does feel like he's going to be divisive and there are going to be the supporters and the opponents and uh, there are going to be some crusades fought over Tua in the offseason. Now, what about Trevor Lawrence? You mentioned he had been a 2022 target for you when you were sort of laying back and uh, going for sub-premium brands. And I think everyone who is rooting for Trevor Lawrence to succeed is pleased with the trajectory he's on right now. But I'm worried that he is going to go from a sub-premium brand to a luxury brand this offseason. And like, I want this guy to be available in department stores, but I feel like you might need to order him from the Sharper Image catalog in 2023. <laughs> Do you get that sense too? Yeah, that's that's fair. I can see it, um, but he still won't be as expensive as, you know, like think of all the quarterbacks who are just like no, no doubt ranked above him this upcoming year. Obviously, you, you will have Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, uh, Justin Fields will be up there. Um, who else am I, am I missing? I know like, uh, Jalen hurts for sure. will be more expensive. Yeah. Burrow, uh, Herbert will probably even be more expensive than Trevor Lawrence. So like, I think he will still be cheap enough that I will want some exposure to him because especially what we've seen out of him the past couple of months, you know, like he opened the year with a kind of rough string of games where, you know, he was throwing too many interceptions, untimely interceptions, especially in the red zone. But man, like since week six, he has thrown only three interceptions, 16 touchdowns to three interceptions. And he's added five touchdowns uh, rushing, you know, with 232 yards rushing. Uh, you know, so it's not as if he is a massive Konami code quarterback, but he does offer something there. So I will probably still be, I won't be overweight on him because he will be more expensive than I want him to be, but I don't think he's going to be in that upper echelon of quarterbacks. I think he will be, you know, probably no, no more expensive than QB eight. Yeah. So his price is going to rise and one guy whose price is going to drop uh, and a guy who has been somewhat expensive, but won't be in 2023 as he recovers from a torn ACL, uh, Kyler Murray 
And he was having a disappointing season even before the injury, but reportedly it was a clean tear. So there's optimism Murray is going to be ready for the start of 2023. Knowing what Murray can be, this dual threat quarterback capable of some big time smash weeks, will you be interested in taking the injury discount? Maybe I would, it will be dependent on any news updates that we get and also kind of dependent on what happens with Cliff Kingsbury. Like I would like, well, I want to be careful on how I phrase this, but uh, if Kingsbury is no longer coaching that team next year and, you know, depending on who they bring in as coach and, you know, most importantly, offensive play caller, I will be interested uh, in Kyler Murray, but it's just, there's a lot of contingency on that. Um, I honestly, I, I had mentioned you know, all the quarterbacks I thought might go ahead of Trevor Lawrence. One guy I forgot to mention was Lamar Jackson. I think he will be a really intriguing player because for two years in a row now, we've had injury issues. I think there's sort of this idea on him that he's unreliable. Um, but man, anytime he's on the field, he still offers a ton of value. And I think there will be a number of quarterbacks taken ahead of him. So I, I think he's kind of um, the healthier version of uh, of Kyler Murray, where, um, you know, like he hasn't had the ACL injury. Uh, we have a sense of what he can do within that offense, but he's probably going to be cheaper next year than he was this year. So he might be a guy that I'm targeting. I want to think he's going to be cheaper, but watch the Ravens add some sort of good pass catcher in the draft. And yeah. then people are going to say, oh, they've added this guy and they're getting Rashad Bateman back from injury and they've still got Mark Andrews. Um, I think there's going to be one guy in every draft who's equally excited about Lamar Jackson. I yeah, hope that, I hope not. That might yeah, be the case. Yeah. I would like to buy. Um, let's talk about Ramondre Stevenson. With Damian Harris set to become an unrestricted free agent, I'm guessing Ramondre becomes a consensus first rounder next year. Do you think that's, I don't know, is he is he worthy of early round draft capital? Should he be a first or early second rounder? I mean, he, has, six, he has 62 catches, Friedman. Yeah, I know. yeah, I know. 78 targets. Like, that's, that's big. Um, I'm a little bit skeptical. Um, they they do have they being the Patriots they do have other running backs there and I could see even with Damian Harris gone some of those other running backs starting to chip away and take some of the usage that has been going to Ramondre Stevenson but the upside is big because I'm imagining that offense improves I don't think it can get any worse next year although you never know but uh, I imagine the offense improves. Um, he is the big bodied guy who can get, you know, 10, 12, 15 carries in a game, but he's also got the receiving ability that you almost never see, uh, attached to a guy of his size. Like I'd say not since Le'Veon Bell, really, have we seen a guy of his size get the receiving workload that we see going to Stevenson. Uh, and so that is incredibly intriguing. I just, I don't think that the workload we see this year is going to continue next year. Yeah, I, I would be inclined to agree with that. And it just feels a little uh, risky to spend that sort of draft capital on a Patriots running back. I know that's kind of a cliche, like avoid the Patriots running backs. Things get too confusing, but 
yeah, I just, I don't know if I can go all in on him after getting him cheaply in a lot of leagues this year. How do you feel about Kenneth Walker? Like, I don't dislike him by any means, but I have a feeling I'm going to be totally out next year because of the price. He is approaching these statistical thresholds that I think could potentially drive up that price. Like he's 197 yards away from a thousand on the season with two games left to play. Could hit that most likely will hit double-digit touchdowns. He's at nine right now. If he gets to 1,000 rushing yards and 10 touchdowns, people are going to be hypnotized by those numbers, and they'll talk about how he got there despite starting the season as a backup to Rashad Penny. Where are you with Walker? Yeah, he's going to be expensive. I would expect him to be uh, like high round one you know, because he was a rookie, and he did what he did this year. Uh, and people will think that offense, let's assume that Geno Smith returns. They will think that the offense could be better next year than it was this year. And they will think that he will take a Jonathan Taylor-esque type of step forward in his second season, which is possible. Like that's totally possible. Uh, and so I think people will be, um, they will be high, you know, they will, they will be speculatively high on him because of all of the the positive things are like the momentum that they imagine that he might have. Um, but I, like, I see it, you know, like he is a three down back, you know, he has 33 targets this year. Like he's, he's not, he's not a zero in the passing game. Like he does have some actual potential as a receiver. So I'm intrigued. I probably won't be, I won't be there with the market on him, but I can definitely see the bull case for it. Now, here's another guy I think is going to be really polarizing in the offseason, J.K. Dobbins. I think he's going to appeal to the Neanderthals and not the nerds. And uh, when I stereotype you, Friedman, which I do all the time behind your back, by the way, I generally don't peg you as a Neanderthal. So you can guess where that leaves you. Uh, Will you probably not be drafting a lot of J.K. Dobbins come July and August? I think his market is going to be hard to determine. Um, like I could see the Neanderthals as you so elegantly and kindly put it. <laughs> I could, I could see them actually not being on JK Dobbins because of the injury issues. Um, you know, like he didn't open the season. Uh, he played a few games in the middle of the season and then suffered an injury and was out again until the fantasy playoffs. And so everything that he does from this point forward, like he came back in week 14, looked pretty good. Uh, the same thing in week 15, didn't do much in week 16, but everything that he accumulates now, I think people will look at, like the Neanderthals will look at and say like, oh, that doesn't matter. You know, like it was, it was after like anyone who drafted him didn't get to the fantasy playoffs because he didn't give them anything previous to that point. So I... I'm not sure where his market is actually going to settle, um, but I think he will be healthier next year than he was this year. He'll be, you know, all that time, you know, removed from the ACL injury, um, and the offense presumably will be better next year than it was this year. Um, so I, it's hard to know if he's expensive. Like if he's if he's an RB two in price. I'm probably going to be off of him. If he is an RB3, he, I think, will actually be kind of intriguing. Yeah, and and he is going to be, I don't know where he's going to fall on that. Um, 
I don't know if he's going to be like a lower end RB two or a, a you know somewhere in RB three territory. But I kind of agree, like that's sort of the threshold. Like if he falls out of the top twenty five, I'm going to be a little more interested. Um, I don't know what to do with DeAndre Swift anymore. Like I watch him and I think he could still be another Alvin Kamara or at least an Alvin Kamara light. But should we just look at the usage and conclude that the Lions are trying to tell us something with the way they're using him or more specifically not using him? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think he has a really intriguing skill set, but we're just not going to we're not going to see it. You know, he's he is not being used even in a like two man committee It is it is like a full on three man committee that that they're using in Detroit. Um, he's, you know, not particularly trusted at the goal line. Um, he doesn't have like the sole hold on passing downs. Um, yeah, he's just a super talented back stuck in a three man committee, uh, which even in a high scoring offense, isn't all that intriguing. Now, uh, if he's ever able to carve out a role for himself, then uh, you know he becomes someone who's viable on that like RB one RB two borderline in half PPR or full PPR leagues, but um, yeah, there's a lot of like speculation built into him in terms of like what he could do if everything goes right for him. But um, like we definitely can't count on everything going right for him. And I know Dan Campbell is going to talk him up in the off season because like Campbell is a. a- great motivator and he's a good coach and a good dude and he's going to do that to try to like you know pump pump up swift in the offseason and i'm just going to stick my fingers in my ears and you know blah 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 like i do not want to hear that you know i'm not going to believe any of the coach speak on him uh even though i really like dan campbell all right christian watson friedman tall and fast scoring a lot of touchdowns but watson hasn't really turned into a volume receiver yet He's had no more than eight targets in any game this season. He had six catches for 49 yards against the Dolphins on Christmas. But before that, his single game high in catches was four. Are you buying a ticket for the Christian Watson bandwagon? Uh, Not yet, but, you know, like the book is still yet to be written on him. Like he's got really good matchups coming up. The thing is, he's like he suffered an injury uh in week 16 so we kind of need to wait and see but if he's able to play in week 17 he's got a great matchup at home against the vikings and then week 18 another great matchup at home against the lions like there's a chance the packers get into the playoffs and then we have even more ability to evaluate him uh in the playoffs and so i think the way that he's used over the next uh few weeks if he's able to play like that will that will determine a chunk of how i view him but he he played just 25 snaps on christmas day and had eight targets that is that is really good and uh since week 10 he's had at least six targets in every game which like that's not like that high of a number but it's been consistent 8 6 6 7 6 8 like he is increasingly becoming the guy like the pass catcher within that offense. And I I am intrigued, you know, like there's, there's massive upside that he has and I'm assuming Aaron Rodgers stays in green Bay. And so you have the guy that I assume is going to be the number one receiver 
for Aaron Rodgers. And this guy has shown big play ability and he's entering his second season. You know, he has nine yards per target, you know, and he's a touchdown scorer. Like, like this guy has massive upside. And assuming he can stay healthy, I will probably want exposure to him. And but I imagine people are also going to like the the draft crowd is getting sharper. I'm imagining that people are going to drive his price up because they saw the flash that he had this year and um, they're going to bump him up in, in the off season market. Like he's, and this isn't even thinking about the two touchdowns that he's had as a runner, but this does remind me a little bit of Chase Claypool when he scored, I think 11 touchdowns as a rookie and then was massively overdrafted entering his second season. Like I could see something like that, um, but man, I just got to say, like he's he's intriguing. Like being attached to Aaron Rodgers is different than being attached to final season Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. You know, like I could see how Christian Watson takes the next step forward, and like this is a guy with nine touchdowns on the season and nine yards per target. That is really intriguing. Yeah, and even though Rodgers is, you know, going to put up some of the worst numbers we've seen from him in his career, I don't think we're seeing the same level of deterioration with him that we saw from Roethlisberger. Yeah. Uh, late in his career and, you know, kind of stunted Claypool's development. I'll give you the name of one guy I think I'm going to be heavily invested in next year, Devonta Smith. And I know that's not any sort of bold call, especially when he's had 300-yard games in the last four weeks and has scored four touchdowns over that stretch. But I think people are going to look at his situation and see that A.J. Brown is there, Dallas Goddard is there, and you know maybe Howie Roseman even adds another receiver to upgrade the depth in the offseason. So I think Smith is going to be undervalued because of that too many mouths to feed narrative, even though he's already gone over a thousand yards with some other big mouths to feed in that offense. So what say you on Devonta Smith? Love him. You know, uh, he was great in college. He was great as a rookie, 8.8 yards per target. And he has hit that exact same mark in his second season, 8.8 yards per target. And if you look at what he's done since the week seven bye. And I, I like to kind of bifurcate the season into like the first half and the second half based on where the buy is, because like teams will have that opportunity to evaluate what they're doing, think about you know how they want to redistribute the ball within their offense. He has played nine games since the week seven buy. And in eight of those games, he's had at least eight targets. Like he is even and some of that you have to take into account. Okay, well, Dallas Goddard wasn't there, but you know, within that offense, even with AJ Brown there, even with the team getting out to some bigger leads, so relying on the running game a little bit more in the second half, even with all of that, he's had eight targets in almost every game since the bye week, you know, and he's just absolutely smashed with that usage. So uh, I think he's in an offense that is still really great. He, as a player, is ascending, uh, you know, and because of AJ Brown there, yeah, Brown is going to, you know, take his share of targets, but it means that the defense can never focus on Devontae Smith. Like they will always need to be accounting for multiple playmakers. So he won't he won't have the coverage of like a true number one, even though he actually might have the talent of a number one. So I am I'm very interested in him. 
Yeah, I agree. I made the mistake of of not getting enough of Jalen Waddle this season because I was worried about what Tyreek Hill might do to his target total. I'm not going to make that same mistake with Devonta Smith. Uh, I know I've kept you already longer than I said I would, but I got to ask you about three more guys. Help me out with this next one, Friedman, because I might be reaching a personal crisis point with this guy. Like I've been heavily invested in DJ Moore for a few years now, and the peripheral numbers are always good. You watch him play and you think, yeah, this guy is is terrific. But I just, I don't know. I just did a double shot of sodium pentothal, Friedman. So I'm going to speak some truth here. DJ Moore has been more of a problem than a solution for my fantasy teams the last couple of years. And look, we know the Panthers probably are not going to have a good quarterback or even an average quarterback running that offense in 2023. I don't know if I can continue to ride this ride. Like I'm starting to get a little nauseous here. Where are you with DJ Moore? Uh, on the plus side, he finally scored more than four touchdowns. <laughs> he, <laughs> did. Know, he did. He yeah. did, but he's not going to get to a thousand yards or yeah. 1200 yards or wherever he normally winds up. Yeah. No, I, I get your point. Um, I'm still going to be on him. I still think in terms of talent that he's, you know, probably anywhere from like wide receiver eight to like wide receiver 15, you know, like he's, he's borderline wide receiver one, wide receiver two in terms of overall talent, his circumstances are trash, which is, you know, why he's underproduced, I think his ability for the past few seasons, but like even, even with all of that before this season, you know, he had three straight years of 1200 yards from scrimmage. Like we see the talent that he has. So I think like you, most people are going to be skeptical about his, uh, his circumstances, the quarterback situation. I, I mean, I say this every year. I don't think his quarterback situation can be any worse next year than it was this year. Um, and maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I mean, it could be like Matt, Matt Corral. And then it's just like, Oh my goodness, this, uh, this guy has no chance at all. But, you know, we're still talking about one of the best receivers in the league in terms of talent, who is not yet even 26 years old, who has, you know, three straight seasons on his resume of 1,200 yards from scrimmage. Um, yeah, I'm still going to be, I'm probably going to be invested in him. Yeah, that's fair. You're probably, I'm going to let you talk me into him before the start of the season. I just know it's. Uh, it's all about the price. You know, like if he's yeah. in the wide receiver three territory, I will be investing in him heavily. Interesting. Yeah. And I think he might be. Yeah. I think he, I think he will be like he, he deserves to be like quote unquote deserves to be in terms of kind of what he has given us, but he is a wide range of outcome type of player. Actually, I don't think even a wide range of outcome. It's just like, I think at that price, he will be near his bottom. And I think there's tremendous upside above that. So that is what I will be investing in at that point is like the upside. And I still think he has a, a pretty reasonable floor. Like this season was close to a worst case scenario season for him. And he still has 814 yards from scrimmage and six touchdowns. Man, I'm just going to have to grit my teeth and <laughs> do it all over again, man. It's going to be painful, but. Yeah, I think you're right. Now, every time I watch George Pickens, I think the guy is going to be a special player. But the one nagging concern I have with him is the same concern that some people had with Gabe Davis in the offseason. Not enough targets. Like, is he really a special player if he's not consistently commanding a good number of targets? Do you have that concern with Pickens, too? 
Kind of. Yeah. Um, and part of it is tied to the, the offense. It's not an explosive offense. And so they're not distributing as many targets in general. Uh, and so if a guy isn't like the alpha dominator within that offense, which like we're not seeing that with him, uh, if anything, that's Deontay Johnson, even though he doesn't have the production to go along with the targets. Um, but if a guy isn't getting that kind of that usage, that volume, yeah, he's he's not going to put up the overall production that you want. But um, he has nine point five yards per target. Uh, I mean, that's that's a very strong number. Like he is an explosive producer. And he is a rookie, you know, playing with another rookie at quarterback. Like we could see sort of like an amplification because if he takes a step forward and Pickett takes a step forward, then all of a sudden we could be looking at a guy who has like 1,400 yards. Yeah, man. Um, I'm worried people are going to start flooding the Twitter sphere with gifs of George Pickens making these circus catches yeah. throughout the season. And then in August making like highlight reel catches in training camp and the yes. price is going to start to rise and it's going to be disgusting. Yeah. All right. Last he, one. For he you. Will probably oh, just like for the people who are into best ball or something like that. I imagine that Pickens will never be cheaper than he is like now. And that as the season as the off season progresses and we get, you know, into that hype, as you mentioned, um, the hype of training camp hype of, uh, you know, like him playing in a preseason game and like mossing a dude. He, yeah. His price will go up. So for, for people in best ball, he's probably one of those players to target. Cause I just, I don't see how he gets cheaper than he is now. All right. Last guy, I got to mention one tight end and I am going to do my best to avoid the middle-class tight ends next year. Like unless I pay up for Travis Kelsey and I've, I've really never been inclined to do that and I'll probably chicken out again. So I'm going to be dumpster diving mostly. Uh, or so I say that now, but like I'm a weak willed man, Friedman, and I know I'm going to end up drafting some middle-class tight ends in a few leagues. And I suspect I'm going to have at least a couple of shares of David Njoku because if yeah. I draft a middle-class tight end, it's going to be someone who's an athletic Marvel and Njoku is an absolutely freaky athlete we're finally getting something close to a breakout season from him, but Najoku didn't give it to us until his sixth NFL season. Should that be a red flag or is it right to at least be tempted by this guy? No, I think it's right to be tempted. You know, a lot of it is circumstantial with why he didn't break out earlier, but he, he is supremely talented as an athlete and, you know, looking back, like this is kind of the time of year to look back on the stuff that we prognosticated earlier, uh, like in the off season and, uh, you know, a lot of stuff <laughs> that I got wrong. Um, but Njoku was one of the tight ends, you know, I like the, the late round tight ends, you know, starting in round nine tight ends that I would be targeting. And for me, it was very much, I want Kelsey or I want Mark Andrews. And if I don't get one of them, I'm waiting forever on the tight ends. And then these are the guys I'm targeting. Definitely uh, didn't get there on the Mark Andrews call, but um, David Njoku was one of the guys I was targeting. Cole Komet, Irv Smith Jr., that didn't work out. And then this next one really didn't work out, Albert O. But um, the thing is with David Njoku, he's going to be more expensive this year, uh, this upcoming year, than he was in 2022. Um, and at that price tag, like he's probably going to be, I don't know, anywhere from like tight end four on the high end, maybe like to tight end eight, tight end nine. 
like that's interesting, but especially on the low end, but I'm probably going to be waiting. Like I'm, I'm probably not going to get a lot of David and Joku because I will probably identify tight ends late that I would rather have. Yeah. That tight end four to tight end nine range is like the, the profit outlook with the guys you draft in that range has just not been good the last few years. It's uh, honestly, it will probably for me, it will probably be Travis Kelsey. Really? Yeah, or, it probably will be, you know, you, like if, if he's there, if he's there at the end of round one, I am probably taking him. And if not, you're just getting back on the Albert O train. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. If not, then I'm waiting and I'm investing everything in Albert O and the, or the, the Albert O equivalent, uh, Chigo Conquo that, you know, like I'm oh, already oh, anticipating yeah. how much I'm going to hate myself by being over leveraged on Oconquo. Oh, um, don't even say that. Don't ruin Chig for us. He's too fun. Yeah, he, he really man. is. But that like I can see it happening with him. Like he's he's a guy I'm probably gonna be too high on. And uh I'll be like, no, why would I want Njoku when I could get the nothing of Chigo Conquo? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's Matthew Friedman, content director at Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. Find him on Twitter at Matt F the Oracle. Friedman, thank you so much for coming on. Happy New Year. Same to you. Okay, everyone, that's it for the show. My thanks once again to our guest, Matthew Friedman of Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. Find him on Twitter at Matt F. The Oracle. Special thanks to my producer, Calm Kelly, for his outstanding and tireless service all year long. I've said it before and I'll say it again. This show would not be possible without Calm's hard work. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. The music for Fits on Fantasy is provided by International Jet Sets. And I just want to say that I spent many, many hours of my high school years listening to the music of the legendary ska band, The Specials, with my friend Jeff Carpenter, the drummer for International Jet Sets. And we are still in mourning for Terry Hall, the lead singer of The Specials, who died last week of pancreatic cancer. Rest in peace, Terry. And last but not least, my thanks to all of you, dear friends. I'm very grateful that you chose to spend time with me in 2022, and I hope you will continue to keep me company in 2023. I want to wish all of you a very happy new year. May the rest of your holiday season be joyous. May your 2023 be prosperous. And to those of you playing in fantasy championships this week, I wish you the best of luck. You have made it to the doorstep. Now kick that sucker down and grab your trophy with two hands. As mentioned earlier, there will not be a new episode next week, but I will be back with another show before you know it. Until then, so long, everyone. Cause all I see now is three now. I gotta